Hello friends, welcome to the podcast. I hope your day is treating you well. I am spending this quarter writing my book, which means that we are posting a few of my personal favorite episodes from the last year. This episode originally aired earlier this year, but I'm wondering if you got a chance to listen to it. If you're interested in the book, you can be one of the first people to know when it goes live by signing up for our newsletter list at clubenneagram.com. For now, thanks for being here and let's get into the episode. I am Sarah Jane Case and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends, happy Monday. I hope your weekend treated you well. Today I am sharing with you thoughts on conflict, but first today's rosebud and thorn. My rose today is that I have a full day home alone to work. I have like, I am in control of the vibes. You know what I'm saying? I lit the candles. I'm playing like French music. My hair is in a bun. I have a blanket on my lap. It's a vibe and I'm thrilled. My thorn is that I really want to work outside today. We have like this little patio table on our side porch that I love to work at, but the mosquitoes in the South in the summer, I can't. I want to, but I can't. My bud is that we are coming right off of celebrating our anniversary. Like the major part of celebrating our anniversary was a little two day trip away, but our actual anniversary date is September 16th and we're gonna try and give ourselves some undivided attention. Just hang out, maybe have a nice dinner, be together. I can't wait for that as well. Now let's dive into today's conversation. It's honestly rare that we are taught how to handle conflict well growing up. Each of us have kind of a family culture that we grew up with on how to deal with conflict. Maybe we learn to shove it down, to pretend that we don't have anything to express, or we maybe learn to yell and scream in order to be heard above the crowd. It can feel like being the one to discuss things makes you too much or too difficult or Perhaps you're the kind who sweeps things under the rug only to find that everyone else seems to be getting their needs met while you're like stuck in the other room washing the dishes, fuming about how no one seems to hear you. And like a lot of things, we're trained our entire lives to handle conflict in a specific way, whether that's being loud or being silent. And it can be hard to undo the training that has already been done, but we can rewire our systems. We can break the traditions of harm and silence in favor of a healthier approach. Now, it's not the easiest thing that you'll ever do in your life, but it will be infinitely rewarding. There are just a few things to keep in mind. So today I want to talk through some exercises centered around developing a healthier relationship to conflict, some questions to ask yourself, practices to bring in, and let's dive into it. So First is to honor and know that conflict is good. If I hear someone say, me and my partner have been married for 25 years and we never fight, that is not the goal, right? The goal isn't to say, we never talk, because what that means is that one or both of you are likely going unheard, continually over-sacrificing, overdoing, losing your sense of autonomy, losing your sense of self, and... I operate with this mentality that we have this one precious life and we should live it 
fully. We should be able to experience it fully. And communication is key to having a relationship where not only do you get to have shared goals as a team, but you also get to support each other individually. And that will likely lead to conflict, which is very normal, very healthy, very fine. Conflict is where your voice is heard. That's how your opinions get heard. That's how your needs get met. You speak up. And this is also where true relationships are formed, where you are deeply known and deeply loved for who you are, not just who you're presenting to someone. If you think about like going through years and years and years of being with someone or being in relationship to someone, romantic or not, not ever arguing because you're not really giving them the fullness of who you are, then when they're giving you love, it's like they're loving this shell of what you've shown them you are and you're not getting to experience the depth of being loved for your complexity and your difficulty and the parts of you that are harder to handle that is some magic right there like when you're getting loved even when you're speaking up for yourself that's irreplaceable so Let's talk about like understanding our relationship to conflict. Now, tomorrow we're going to dive deeper into how this looks through the lens of the Enneagram. But for today, I just want to ask a couple of questions. Kind of take note of where you're at in conflict. Most of us have like kind of one muscle that's a little bit overworked. Either we're really good at advocating for ourselves, but not as good at taking feedback or maybe not as good at advocating for someone else, or maybe we do it in a hurtful way, or maybe we tend to shove our feelings and our thoughts down and we just make it really easy for everyone else, but we don't feel like we're ever heard or truly seen. So are you someone who sweeps things under the rug? Are you someone who throws tenderness out the window when you need to be heard? Do you feel like you have a healthy relationship to conflict? Maybe you feel like, yeah, I, I feel like I can have conflict, but still be kind and advocate for my needs, but not shut other people down. That's amazing. Very rare, very special. Do you default to the mode that someone else is bringing to the table? Maybe you match the energy. I think this is typically what I do. Like, Someone comes into the room yelling, I'm probably going to yell back. Someone comes into the room, if someone kind of shoves their needs down, I might shove my needs down because that I, I tend to tone match. Or maybe I, you know, I also say I tend to lean toward advocating for myself above all else. <laughs> but that being said, you know, are you someone who leaves the room when conflict arises? Do you convince yourself that conflict doesn't have to happen, that you can just kind of sneak at your needs? Do you try to get away with stuff? Do you try to just pretend like your needs don't exist, shove them down? Do you try to reframe your needs? Like, what's your relationship to conflict? Kind of own what you have, like where you're leaning right now so that you know where you want to work. And then I think there's this kind of a magic recipe of simply being honest, but kind and regulating our nervous system. Like when it comes to conflict and having conflict in a healthy way, these are my goals. I want to be honest, right? I'm not trying to like sugarcoat it or hide it or pretend like it's not there. I'm going to be honest, but I also want to be kind. I'm not trying to cause harm or to create a severing and I need to regulate my nervous system, right? So that I don't fight or flight or freeze, you know, that we're able to really stay present, stay connected and stay kind. 
So here's kind of what that can look like. So sharing your unfiltered truth kindly. Remember that you are on the same team with whoever you are in conflict with and that you have a shared goal. So whoever you're in conflict with, you're really just working a puzzle out together it sometimes can feel like you're on opposing teams. Like if I get my needs met, then you won't get your needs met and vice versa. And we need to fight about it. But really what's happening is that you have a puzzle that you need to work and you need to find a solution that works for everybody. And you need to be heard and validated and they need to be heard and validated. You are on the same team. So if you can think about it from that perspective of like, it's us against the problem, not me against you. So helpful. The next is you know, using I statements. So instead of saying, you always leave the dishes unwashed, instead say, it's really important to me that we have a clean kitchen. I don't want bugs. I don't want to worry about if there's a dish that I need to use. We need the counter space feels really important to me. Kind of using your language and then saying, can we find a solution to the dishes being on the side of the table, right? Like you're, you're coming from like, this is my thing. I'm not coming at you, attacking you for this. Maybe they do always leave the dishes at the table, but that's not going to help you. Like them knowing that, them owning that for you isn't going to get you very far in terms of like, what's your end goal. So that's like the big thing to keep in mind is like, if your end goal is to have a clean kitchen, then getting them to accept the blame isn't even getting you there, right? It's kind of a sidestep of like your ego getting heard. But if your goal is to get the kitchen clean, then come at it from the the sense of like, this is a need that I have. This is really important to me. Here's why. Can we work on this together to find a solution? Next is... Brene Brown gave me this sentence, I'm telling myself the story that. So sometimes when we do need to be heard and validated in the situation that's occurring, so let's use the dishes as an example again. Let's say the dishes aren't getting done. You feel like you're the only one doing the dishes. You're feeling frustrated. You're telling yourself the story that your partner knows that if they leave the dishes that like you're just going to do them and they don't respect you enough to care about your time. So you can come in and say like, Hey, I'm telling myself the story that you don't think that my time matters. And therefore I have infinite amount of time and energy to do the dishes. And then they have the chance to say, Whoa, that's not the story. Actually, here's the real experience I'm having, or here's where I'm coming from on this. And it softens the blow instead of saying like, you don't love me. You don't respect me. You're saying, I am telling myself the story that you don't love me, that you don't respect me because of the dishes are the evidence that I'm using to validate that story. And this is a really great way. If you tend to be very blamey or accusatory, you can kind of use that language to soften the delivery. This is also a helpful practice in general when we're looking at things through the lens of how we see the world, right? So if we think about our Enneagram type, it's like this message of who we thought we had to be. And then we pair that with what we, so we think other people expect us to be that, right? So when we're kind of not able to live up to what we think we're supposed to be, then we're looking for evidence that people are disappointed in us. For example, as a type seven, I think I'm supposed to be happy and fun 
all the time. And I hold myself to this standard of like, you're supposed to be happy and fun all the time. So when I'm going through grief or bouts of depression or deep sadness, I tell myself the story that my husband hates coming home to me because I'm sad and I'm a bummer to be around. So if I can take the time and be vulnerable and say to my husband, hey, I'm telling myself the story that you don't like coming home to me because I'm sad right now and you only want to be around me when I'm happy, he then has the opportunity to say, absolutely not. That's made up. (laughs) You created that story in your mind. I love being around you no matter how you are. Like it gives them the opportunity to speak truth back in to the situation because we can cloud ourselves, you know, with these stories. And that's just a little side tangent for you. So we are using I statements. We're saying, I'm telling myself the story that we're viewing it like we're on the same team. And then we're offering the benefit of the doubt. So the dishes aren't being done, right? Instead of saying you never do the dishes, say, I really am concerned about how clean our kitchen is. I feel like the dishes aren't getting done as frequently as they need to be done. This is really important to me. How can we find the solution? And then we give the benefit of the doubt. I know that you go to work all day and you come home and you are tired. And the last thing you probably want to do is some dishes. Or I know that it's hard for you to like do the dishes right as you're rushing out the door. Is there a way that we can make this work better? Like, can we do the dishes in the morning? Can you do the dishes at night before you go to bed? Can we do each dish as we use them? Like, what's a solution we can find together? Because I understand that you're not doing this on purpose. You know, maybe there's another reason that this is happening. And then it's also sometimes helpful to give context. So maybe like for me, I grew up a poor kid who had, you know, not a lot of parental support, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Like my mom worked a lot. My stepdad, who was in my life most of the time, you know, had a lot of, he was chaotic. So that being said, a common thing for me was that my clothes would smell musty or mildewy because they would be left in the washer and not put in the dryer. And like, I didn't know enough about laundry to know how to handle that myself. Right. So that's a big trigger thing for me. And my husband does the laundry. One of the conversations we had, I mean, years ago, that could have gone poorly, right? It could have it could have looked like, hey, can you just make sure that you put the wash into the dryer immediately after the wash finishes? Because it's really gross when you don't do that. And that could have felt like, I was expecting a lot from him arbitrarily and he could feel like, why don't you just do it? Like, you know, like, why don't you just take on this responsibility? And instead I was able to say like, hey, when I was a kid, I often felt like I smelled gross or like musty or moldy because of the laundry not getting changed right away. And so now when my clothes smell that way, it's a big trigger for me and makes me feel really sad. And then I'll end up just having to wash the laundry right again because I'm not going to wear it smelling like that. So just so you know, that's kind of what's going on. And for him, that gave him the opportunity to be on my team to where he's like, no, I'm looking out for little Sarah Jane. Like little Sarah Jane does not have to smell like a poor kid anymore. And so for him, it's like, this is something that's important to him too. Not that he's going to be perfect at it every single time, but he is taking care of me in the most tenderest place because he was able to know what's going on there. 
I love to explore new wines, but I'm not always sure what to get. And I really don't want to be disappointed. So that's why I love First Leaf Wine Club. They remove all the guesswork, doing all the hard work to discover great wines so that I can just enjoy them. First Leaf winemakers sample 10,000 wines a year across five continents in 12 countries and select only the best bottles for the club. First Leaf believes wine is personal. They create a custom wine print for each member and maps their vast portfolio of wines to each person's unique taste preferences. Once you take their five-minute quiz, the more wines you rate, the more each shipment is personalized to your taste. There are no contracts or cancellation fees, and if you're not happy with the wine you receive, First Leaf will give you a credit towards your next shipment for a risk-free way to explore an endless array of world-class wine. Here's the thing. Back in the day, when I first started getting into wine, I used to go to this wine bar, and the guy working there would always help me figure out what is it that I liked. He would talk to me. We would explore the wine together. And then that wine bar closed and I was left in the dark. First Leaf is kind of like my wine bar replacement. I have someone who's like, hey, these are some good wines. Here's what you seem to like. Here are the patterns that we're seeing try this one out. It feels like I have like my dream bartender <laughs> sending things right to my home. I loved getting it shipped to my house as well. It means I don't have to go out and like look at the overwhelming wine aisle in the grocery store. I just take my quiz online and they send it straight to me and I've loved every wine they sent so far. And in fact, I've found some of my new favorites. So celebrate your special firsts and the moments that count with First Leaf, the wine club designed to help you discover new wines that you'll love, personalized to your taste and delivered to your door. Join today and you'll get six bottles of wine for $29.95 with free shipping. Y'all, did you hear that? $29.95 for six bottles of wine with free shipping. So definitely do that. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash egram. That's try, T-R-Y, firstleaf.com slash egram for six bottles of wine for $29.95 with free shipping. So here's a toast to firsts. May you enjoy them with the people you love from the first sip to the last. Try firstleaf.com slash egram. I'm just going to rehash that, like kind of sharing your unfiltered truth in a kind way. We're not not talking about things. We're not not sharing what we have to say. We're just being conscious and available to give the benefit of the doubt, speak from our perspective, kind of take blame out of the situation. You know, say, I'm telling myself the story that give context so they understand why this is something that matters to you, if that is necessary. And then we can move on to regulating our nervous system. So conflict isn't easy it brings up a lot, whether we have learned that conflict isn't safe, whether we've learned that if we get into conflict, people will leave, maybe we're afraid of being abandoned, maybe we're afraid of being harmed, or maybe we're just afraid that we won't be heard and validated. It can be very scary, very triggering. Maybe it's last week, week before last, we talked about triggers and kind of how you can respond to triggers. And in that, we talked about square breathing. And it's really just like, if you're in conflict, 
one of the things that I like to do is just try to ground myself, kind of feel my seat, feel my, like where I'm sitting, feel my feet on the ground. I like to put my hands on my lap and then just kind of take that deep breath in, do the square breathing thing. You can, my therapist taught me to look at a square, breathe in for four seconds, pause for four seconds breathe out for four seconds, pause for four seconds. And what this is just doing is it's regulating your nervous system so that you don't get into fight or flight mode. Because once we get into fight or flight mode or freeze, these automatic defense mechanisms start coming up and we're not able to handle conflict well. We're going to leave the room. We're going to yell. We're going to storm out. We're going to maybe even, some of us will exit our body and just kind of not really be there at all, leaving the other person feeling abandoned. Even though you're in the room, they know you're not in the room with them, right? So we're trying to kind of regulate that, bring ourselves down. Now, there are usually some indicators that flight or fight mode is about to kick in. So for me, I start to get hot. I start to feel like I'm going to interrupt people, not let them finish their thought or finish their sentence. I feel like my body is racing and wants to run out of the room. And so the best thing to do in that moment when you notice the sensation in you, whatever that is for you, that fight or flight mode is about to kick in is to simply ask for a break. And this doesn't always go well. This isn't always easy, right? But you can try to ask in the kindest possible way. I love you. I want to finish this conversation with you. What you're sharing is important. I'm feeling really triggered right now. I need to just go have a little break, go to a quiet place, recenter so that I can really hear you because right now I'm getting heated and that's not the way I want to respond. I don't want to come to this defensively. I want to be here and present. So can you give me just a few minutes to recenter and calm down? Now that's kind of the recipe that I think works the best, right? Like communicate as effectively as you can. When you're receiving feedback, you know, be regulating your nervous system, soothing yourself, calming down, staying grounded, taking breaks when you need to. But there are a couple of other tips that I have for handling conflict that I wanted to share. First, remember that people who are meant to be in your life will not leave because you have needs and preferences. So if you're afraid that by advocating for yourself, by speaking up, that you are going to alienate people, that you will be abandoned, that people will leave, that your relationship to them will be cut off, those are not the people you want in your life right? You want the people in your life who champion your needs, who are rooting for you. And you need to give the people in your life the opportunity to show you that they are those people or to show you that they aren't so that you can find the people who will do that for you, who can make that space for you. Now, if you're in a committed relationship or a marriage and you try one time to ask for your needs to get met for the first time ever, and it's not responded to well because this is like brand new for those people, you know, it's going to take time for that relationship to adjust and you might want professional support in that process, a therapist or a coach, someone to walk alongside you to be the third party to help you guys navigate that. We hire a therapist every once in a while in our marriage just to kind of recalibrate. Like it's totally normal and doesn't mean your marriage is ending. It just means you need support like we all do. Now, so that's number one. Number two, ask clarifying questions. If, you, if someone says something to you that you feel like is not true or you find offensive, you can just ask clarifying questions. You know, let's say you're on the other side of this dish situation and they say, you never do your dishes, but you're like, I did my dishes yesterday. You can say, what is the like end goal of this conversation? Are we trying to have a goal of like the dishes are done every night before we go to bed? 
cool, right? I'm in the, in this way you're not saying like you're having to have the conversation of whether or not you do the dishes because that's a pointless discussion if you see that from a different perspective, right? If you're saying you never do the dishes and if he's saying you never do the dishes and you're saying I did the dishes yesterday actually, then that's not going anywhere, right? But if you can ask clarifying questions and say, like, trying to really get into what what's the truth beneath the truth. Like, what is what are they trying to say to you by saying that? What's the goal there? Third is just don't be afraid to apologize, even if you don't think it's something you should apologize for. Why are we so scared to apologize? Like, what is it? Like, what do we think is going to happen if we say sorry? Like, what do we think is going to happen? Especially, I think the worst case scenario of apologizing too much, apologizing more than is necessary, especially in a committed relationship, whether that's romantic or not, is the fear that our needs won't get met and our voice won't be heard, right? I think that's the fear. It's like if I continuously apologize, maybe this is my type structure showing, you know, this is this could be the type seven showing. But if I apologize, then I will be silenced. Let's say that's the fear, but then you're actively on the other end, kindly and honestly advocating for yourself and you're in a dynamic where that is being heard and received, then apologizing isn't limiting your ability to do that, right? Apologizing is actually just showing the person you're in communication with that like you take them seriously and you care about them and you wouldn't intend to hurt them. And it's okay. It doesn't hurt you to say, wow, I'm sorry. Like, I love you. That's not my intention. I want to learn. I want to understand where this, like, what's going on here and like ask really good questions to understand what's going on so that you can love them better because that's the only goal. That's the goal here that in relationship, that's the goal. So, you know, don't apologize by saying, well, I'm sorry you felt that way. You can just say, I'm sorry, because what's the worst case scenario of that? You know, you're fine. If you're in a situation that is, you're in an abusive relationship and you find yourself saying, you're saying like, I can't just say, I'm sorry, this is an abusive dynamic. You need to leave that dynamic, right? This isn't applicable to that dynamic. You can't have healthy conflict with an abuser. You have to leave. And there's support for that. Helpmate.com is a really great support for that, a really great organization to look at if that is your situation do not try these tools do not try to have healthy conflict with this person just get out if you're feeling like could this be me talk to someone else outside of your relationship right but for the average relationship saying you're sorry is not going to kill you and in fact it's probably going to save your relationship it's going to save that friendship it's going to save that marriage literally doesn't hurt okay so don't be afraid to say you're sorry And then consider when receiving feedback, if maybe that is something you do to yourself too. So what I mean by this is when you're giving feedback, like when you're receiving feedback from someone else and they're saying, hey, this thing that you did actually really hurt me or that didn't feel good to me. One, don't be afraid to say you're sorry. And then consider, am I doing this to myself too? For example, I do not let myself have downtime. My whole life that's been a a struggle. If I have downtime, like there's a big voice in my head that's like, make the most of it, make the most of this time. What could you be doing in this time? And so that bleeds over into my relationship. My husband, you know, like when he's doing something, if he's not making the most of every single second of every single moment of his day, I notice it. That's not his responsibility, right? Like that's not his burden to carry. But sometimes I'll say like, well, you had this time, why didn't you use it? 
And that obviously hurts his feelings. And so then he'll say, you know, like that hurt my feelings. And I say, you know, I learned to say, I'm sorry. And then to also be like, just so you know, that's not about you. That's like how I talk to myself. So therefore, like it kind of is an overflow of how I've, I talk to you. And like, I'm really sorry. That's not yours to own. That's not yours to carry. And it's not even mine to carry. And the more freedom we can give ourselves to not carry that burden, the less we're going to put that onto the people in our lives, right? So if I'm like obsessed with having the dishes clean and I feel like I have to wash every single dish that's ever been made in there and it need, and it can't even sit for a second and I'm holding myself to the standard or I feel like I failed, well then when my husband puts a dish down and walks away, it's like, then now I have to do this, right? Because I'm holding myself to such a high standard that it feels like suffocating, and any more added on to that is overwhelming. So what I'm trying to say here is like when you're receiving feedback of something that you did that maybe didn't feel good to them, maybe to heal that, to try to like work on that, you start with how you're doing it to yourself already. And the more freedom you can give yourself, the more freedom you can give other people. Something to play with. Now, these are just a few tips and places to start when considering your relationship to conflict and building out a new way of operating inside of a conflict. Tomorrow I'll be going into conflict styles by Enneagram type, so I can't wait to see you there. In the meantime, today's food for thought is twofold. First, conflict can and should be handled constructively. When it is, relationships benefit. Conflict avoidance is not the hallmark of a good relationship. On the contrary, it is a symptom of serious problems and poor communication. That is from Harriet B. Baraker. And Bravery is the choice to show up and listen to another person, be it a loved one or a perceived foe, even when it is an uncomfortable, painful, or the last thing you want to do by Alara Hutchinson. All right, friends, it is an absolute joy to create this content for you, and I will see you tomorrow for the next one.